Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. I'm going to talk about something today that I think is going to be relevant for, for most, if not all of us in the room. We're going to do a two-week series called I Doubt It. From time to time, I get approached, and the question I get asked is, Brett, do you ever have doubts? Now, if I wanted to be you know, facetious, I could kind of play dumb and act like I didn't know what they were talking about and try and just watch them squirm like doubts. What are you talking about, doubts? But what they mean is, do I have doubts about God? Do I have doubts about faith? Do I have doubts about the Bible and Jesus? Is it true? Do you believe all of it? And there are two motivations for that question. There, there's one group of people who who are hoping that I will say, no, I never have doubts. You know, that my faith is, you know, pristine and it's in perfect shape and I don't ever have any doubts. And that, what they're after is they kind of want to piggyback their faith onto my faith. Now, when you're six years old, it's not necessarily a bad thing for you to piggyback your faith on your parents' faith, right? I mean, there's certain things that as a six-year-old, I'm not wanting to challenge them to think about. You know what I'm saying? As they get older, life kind of makes that happen, and they'll come into certain understandings. But when you're six, if you've piggybacked your faith onto your parents' faith, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if you're an adult and you've got your faith piggybacked onto somebody else, that is a dangerous, dangerous thing because what if that person goes through something? What if that person renounces faith? What if that person goes through some kind of failure and I've seen this happen where people who had piggybacked their faith onto somebody else, when he goes down or she goes down, it all goes down for them and they leave the faith as well. So uh, it's kind of a dangerous game to play. You don't necessarily want to do that. The, the other group of people, they're hoping I say, yes, I have doubts. Yes, they're hoping I'll say that because they want to know they're not the only ones. You know, they don't want to, because their, their whole reaction would be, oh good, because I thought I was the only one who ever had any doubts, and I was just feeling horrible, and everybody else seems like they've got their act together, and, and it was just me that's having all the trouble. You may be tempted to think that. You know, you might, you might be tempted to think, I can't become a Christian until I get all my questions answered. i still got some questions, and I have people that, that talk to me like that. Brett, when I get this answered or I get this answered, then I'll be ready to come to Jesus. I'm just telling you, you may never get all that stuff answered. I don't care what you're pursuing or who you're pursuing. There are going to be some questions for you that you are likely not going to be able to get answered. There's a good news, bad news kind of scenario going on there. The first thing I'd say is this. I just did say it. You're never going to get every question answered. That's kind of the bad news. The good news is you can become a Christian and not have every single question answered. The bad news is you're never going to get them all answered. Uh, you know, on this side of, of heaven, there's just some things that we're never really going to fully understand. Um, there are some issues we're not going to figure out. There are some things we're going to have doubts about. Uh, the real issue is not will you have doubts. The real issue is what do you do with them when you do have them? And you are going to have some. Um, let, let's just let's take a poll. And, and I, this may put you on the spot. I hope it doesn't. And I hope you'll understand why I'm doing this. There may be some people in the room this morning who, who aren't Christians or who don't have much of a faith background, and I'm really doing this for your benefit. I want you to see something. If I just described you, I'm not really sure about Jesus. I'm not sure if I want to be a Christ follower. 
I'm in church today because somebody promised me they'd take me to lunch if I would go to church with them, or they promised me there were hot girls there. You know, I don't know what they promised you that you would find when you got here. Um, but, but I, you know, there, you're not, you might say I'm not really on board yet, okay? I'm doing this for your benefit. Those of you who are Christians, raise your hand if you have or have had doubts about some aspect of faith. Let me see your hand. Okay, keep them up. Okay, non-Christians, people far from God, people who don't go to church much, I want you to look at that. Okay, now you can put your hands down. We don't have all this figured out either. Okay, there's times that things happen and we're, we, we, we're trying to figure out how does that line up with that and, and oh my goodness, I can't, I'm, I'm, this is causing me a problem here because these two things look uneven to me. You know what, we all go through that. That's not something that's... that's I think that we do non-church-going people a disservice by acting like we've got it all together sometimes when they know we don't and we know we don't, right? We look a lot more authentic if we would just raise our hand and say, yeah, once in a while, I can't figure this out. Once in a while, this is a problem for me. Once in a while, I'm asking some questions and I would really like some answers on some things and I haven't gotten them yet. The issue isn't, are you going to have doubts? The issue is, what do you do with them when you have them? That makes all the difference in the world as to how you're going to come out on the other end. It could wreck your faith. It could make you just quit altogether, and some people have done that. See, one of two things happens. Either with people who leave their faith or or give up on faith or however you want to put it, one of two things happens. Either the cost of following Jesus becomes too high, and some people say, I'm not paying that price. I'm just not going to pay that price. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. That's what some people do. The, the other people, you know, in their eyes, they have this expectation of God, and, and God has kind of gone out of bounds, or he hasn't met expectation. He, he did something he shouldn't have done, or he didn't do something we think that he should have done. He should have prevented this. He should have made that happen, or whatever, and, and they suddenly their whole world goes haywire because God didn't act the way God should have acted. We've talked about that for the last three weeks. And so either the cost is too high and I leave, or God didn't do what I thought he was going to do and I leave. You know, either our faith can't stand up to the cost or, or our faith, you know, our box for God is way too small and God gets outside of it and we go, oh my goodness, now what? So What do you do with the doubts? How do you respond? Do you walk away because your questions can't get answered? That's what I want to talk about for the next couple of weeks. Uh, There are other options. I want you to understand that. What a tragedy to turn your back on Christianity, to turn your back on Jesus, just because you don't have every question answered or because God did something that you didn't expect. Or, or you turn your back on God because the cost seemed too high. And then years later, you come back and you say, oops, I shouldn't have done that. You know, years later, you come back and you say, I went looking for all this stuff. And it amazes me, the people who, you know, you hear about people who go looking for themselves. I'm going to go find myself, right? And they go to some warm climate place like Arizona. I don't know if there's selves hanging on a cactus in Arizona. I don't know what's up with that. But, you know, I'm just going to go find myself. No, you're going to come back. You're still going to have some doubts. You're not going to get it all figured out. You're going to have some questions. There's some things that aren't going to line up. That's always going to be the way it is. We call that tension. And I quite honestly think sometimes tension can be a good thing. 
we're, we're as leaders at the church, we've gone to different conferences. That's one of the things we've learned is that tension can be a good thing. It, it keeps us honest. I want to tell you about an experience I had when I was at Johnson Bible College. This would have been about uh, 1985-86-ish, around in there somewhere. I was about a junior, and I am preparing myself to get out and go into ministry, something that petrified me, okay? My dream life would have been that I would have graduated from Bible college, I had a great Bible college experience, made great friends, learned a lot, and I wanted to graduate, I didn't want to go into ministry, uh, because I had a, a, a homiletics professor who had come into our class, and homiletics is just a fancy name for preaching, okay, that's all that is. I had a homiletics professor who would come in every morning, and he would be shaking letters at us. He would, he would hold them up in class. He would shake these letters at us, and he would say, I'm begging you, don't go into ministry. How's that for a Bible college professor? I'm begging you, don't go into ministry. Life's a bummer. Be a plumber. If you can do anything else, do it. Don't go into ministry. He would read these letters to us from preachers who'd gotten out into ministry and were throwing their hands up and leaving the ministry. I don't know if they were leaving faith or not, but they certainly were leaving ministry. And he would shake those letters at us. And so he had me scared to death. I'm like, man, I don't know what's on the other side, but I just, here's what I wanted to happen. No, I'm not going to say that part. I don't, you don't need to know everything that's going on in here. I, it would be funny, but I'm not going to say it. I, I wanted to graduate, get my diploma, and then I wanted Jesus to come back. That's what I wanted, okay? I didn't want to get into ministry. I didn't want people to be mean to me. I'd heard horror stories about how people were going to be mean to you in ministry, and my experience here has been people aren't mean to you. I love this church and love my job, so that's not necessarily it, but I had hoped that I would get my diploma and then Jesus would come back. So, you know, and then I started thinking, okay, you're going to, that's, Jesus is probably going to not come back when you want him to, so you need to get ready to be in ministry. So it scared me. And I started thinking about, Brett, you're going to graduate and you're going to tell grown adults about Noah and the ark, Jonah and the whale, You're going to tell people about a burning bush. You're going to tell people about a talking donkey. There's all these stories in the Bible. You're going to talk about a guy walked on water, healed the blind. You're going to tell these stories. You know, it's one thing to go into junior worship and do this. You're going to tell adults these stories. Are you sure you believe these stories? And are you sure you are going to tell these stories to other people? So, I began to have a crisis of faith. I, I began to have, I call it, you'll hear guys refer to this as the dark night of the soul. I had a, I kind of went through this period of three or four weeks where I, I, I wasn't sure there was a God, okay? I was questioning everything. Um, my roommate was reading Nietzsche and we were having all kinds of crazy discussions and I'm like, holy cow. And I, I remember it was warm in East Tennessee in the springtime, I remember uh, there was a couple of times, I didn't, I didn't live my life for four weeks under a tree, but, but I, I spent a considerable amount of time just kind of sitting under this one tree. Just I would get outside to get some fresh air and just think things through and just trying to get my bearings a little bit. And I was plagued with doubt. 
I mean, I didn't know if, I'm praying, God, if you're out there. That's kind of how my prayers were starting. God, I don't know if you're real. I'm struggling with everything, but, but if you're real, I, I'm, I need help. Hear me. It's not the doubts that are the problem. You're going to have some doubts. It's what you do with the doubt that is either going to simplify or complicate things. The questions that, it's not really the questions that throw people off, it's how they respond to the questions that are the problem. Here's what's interesting. People walk away from the faith and then make stupid life decisions. Okay, they walk away from faith and they, they, they don't do something or they do do something so that it'll hurt God. That's what people do oftentimes. They, they'll leave the church, they'll leave their faith, and then they go doing destructive things thinking, you know, they're trying to hurt God or they're trying to hurt the church. Really, all they're doing is hurting themselves. And then 10 years or 20 years or five years later, they come back and they come to faith and they say, you know what, I still have some of the same questions. I still have some of the same doubts. I just got a lot more scars and bruises. The world just beat me up as I went out looking for the answers to some of these things. So doubt can be devastating, but when we learn to handle it the right way, it can also be faith building. It can generate in us intimacy with God. And it can bring us to a new place of dependence. It can actually be good for our relationship with God if we'll just be honest about it and say, you know what, so once in a while, God, I've I got some issues, I got some things, I got some questions. I want to say this as we get started this morning. God is not offended by your questions. He's not offended by your questions. You know, if if you find yourself from time to time going, I don't know if I believe that. God's not, you know, God's not in heaven saying, oh, he figured us out, you know, you know, he's not up there with the, with the angels or whoever saying, you know, they're on to us down there. You know, it's not, that's not how God sees this. He's not offended. He's, God is not insecure when we come to him with our doubts. He's not offended. He doesn't say, how dare you question me. That's not what God's thinking. God wants us to know the truth. God encourages, listen, how do you find the truth in anything? If you're a scientist, what do you do? You say, okay, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Let's bump up against some things. Let's find out where we can find truth and let's see what we can learn. That's what you do. Everything that you pursue as a scientist isn't the truth. You've got to figure out what is the truth and what's not the truth. That's why when someone tells me they're an atheist, my response is, that's cool. Just, just tell me this, are you in pursuit of the truth? Are you in pursuit of the truth? Because if you're in pursuit of the truth, that's what I'm after too. And I know that Jesus said this, I, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when an atheist tells me I'm in pursuit of the truth, I tell myself, that dude's eventually coming to Jesus. Because if he's looking for the truth, the truth is Jesus, he will eventually find Jesus. And then it becomes a matter of, Am I in a, is he or she, are they going to be intellectually responsible and say, well, I've been searching for the truth. Now that I've found it, I'm going to give myself to it. See, that's really the, the big question. See, God is not, inter, uh, is not honored when we pretend that everything is okay when it's not. God's not honored when you pretend to have everything figured out when you really don't have everything figured out. Uh, in fact, I think sometimes God is dishonored because it looks very inauthentic to non-believers when we act like we've got it all figured out and there's no chinks in our armor. 
I actually tend to think that people who don't have a faith background and there's a lot of people that don't like the church and don't like Christians simply because Christians act like they're better than everybody else and act like they've got everything figured out. And I think if we would just be honest once in a while and say, you know what, that, I struggle with that too. Me too. I think a lot of people would go, now that's a church I could get along with. That's some people that I could trust. That's some people who are being honest with me. God's not honored when we have doubts and act like we don't and when we push all that stuff down so that nobody knows. Eventually your doubts are going to bubble to the surface. Eventually your doubts, and the thing is, sometimes that happens at the most inopportune time, right? Sometimes that happens when you least want it to. I mean, you're having this crisis thing going on and these doubts kind of surface. And you're like, oh no, not now. See, the problem with, with stuffing your doubts is that when you least need it to happen, they always come flooding back, and sometimes at the same time, and then they're really hard to handle. The Bible addresses this. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus had a discussion with his disciples, and it, it's pretty insightful. He, he's just fed 5,000, and when he did that, listen, when you feed 5,000 people, you're a rock star. I don't know if you know that or not, but go feed 5,000 people, and you'll find out how popular you are. Um, you get real popular when you feed people and Jesus has just done that and they're ready to declare him the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. Hey, he's awesome. Let's roll with him. Um, he's getting so popular. Jesus is kind of leery. And so he's thinking he's just going to slip out of sight and he does. He just kind of slips out right after this, this, um, miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And right before he does, he says to the apostles, and I just a heads up today, I'm going to refer to the 12 today as the apostles, not the disciples, really because I'm going to, you'll see why in a minute. He says to the apostles, I'll meet you on the other side. And so he's going to meet them on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples, apostles get in this boat. They're going to row across the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to do this to meet Jesus on the other side. They're making no progress, right? I don't know whether they hit a headwind. I don't know what the deal was, but they just, they aren't making any progress. And the book of Mark tells us that, that they see Jesus walking on water and that he walks past them. All right, so get that picture in your head. You're with your buddies and you're all rowing full speed ahead and dude just walks right past you like, how you doing? Good to see you, you know. That, 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 would, that would wig me out on more than one front, probably. Um, and just take a minute and get that picture in your head, you know, just what happened with them. But, and so then we're told that Peter tries to walk on water. That's an epic fail. He doesn't do very well. He does for a while, but then he fails, and Jesus bails him out, and there's a lesson there. And Meanwhile, all the people who were at the feeding of the 5,000, they're trying to get more of Jesus, and they're, they're, you know, they're trying, they figure out that Jesus is going to be on the other side, People start showing up. They get in boats. They're doing all kinds of things. They've heard now that he may have walked on water. They're not really sure about that. Jesus is popular. He is a rock star right now in this part of the story. And if you're one of the apostles, one of the 12 that get to hang out with Jesus all the time, you know, you suddenly get to be popular too. It's like um, one time I was, <laughs> this wasn't that long ago, I, was at, I had a friend who was friends with somebody fairly famous. And I was with my friend, and he was, they were both musicians, and he was playing with this famous person. 
and I was just there. And they were setting up, getting ready for this gig. And so, you know, I was helping them do stuff, carrying instruments and setting things up and, and just, trying to, just trying to be a blessing. That's all I was trying to be, just trying to be a blessing. And uh, this event was for college kids. And I had people coming up to ask me for my autograph just because I was hanging out with my not-so-famous friend who was hanging out with his kind of famous friend. And, and it was weird, people asking me for an autograph. And I said, dude, you do not want my autograph, okay? I'm just a preacher. I'm not, I, you've never heard, you're never going to hear, hear of me. You don't want my autograph. But that was kind of going on for the disciples. They were hanging out with the really cool, famous, hip guy, and so it was kind of good to be an apostle. It, life was good. You know, these guys are hanging out with Jesus. And, and you, you, you kind of would expect that if you'd walked up to Peter and said, hey, are you, are you on the inside? Peter would have gone, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm uh, you know, you've heard this thing called the inner circle. I'm on the inner, inner circle. Okay, there's the, there's the 12, and then there's these, these like three that we're, we're like really tight with Jesus. I'm one of those. I mean, it would have been a good time to have known Jesus, you know, to be on the inner circle. Um, Jesus goes to the synagogue in Capernaum to, to teach, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people there. What you, what you have in, in this large group that we're told about is you have four different groups of people. You have the 12 that, for the sake of this message, I'm calling the apostles, you have the disciples that for this message were, were just the, the followers of Jesus that were accumulating as he did all these miraculous, wonderful, amazing things. You know, you can imagine, if I, if I had certain abilities that this country needs, um, don't make a funny Brett, you'll just get everybody in trouble. But if I, just, if I had certain things that this country needs and I was able to do those things, I would become very popular. Well, that's kind of what's going on with Jesus. And so there's this crowd growing around them, and, and these people are starting to show up, hundreds if not thousands of them. And then there's a third group of people, a fourth group of people, the religious leaders. And they, they don't like Jesus at all. In fact, they're trying to trap Jesus. So you have the apostles, the disciples, and then the crowd. It's just kind of they're on the fence. They don't really know what they think. They're just listening, trying to figure out if this guy's for real or not for real. So that's the four groups. And all these people are in this story in John chapter 6. Jesus begins to preach, and he preaches one of the strangest sermons the apostles have ever heard. In fact, he starts to say some odd, kind of weird, off-the-wall, crazy stuff. And even his own apostles are thinking to themselves, why is he doing this? I mean, why is he, you know, Jesus, this isn't working. This isn't a good sermon. You, You know, this is a weird sermon. He's saying stuff like, I am the bread of life, and, and I have come down from heaven. And, well, when the religious leaders hear that, they're thinking to themselves, listen, we know where you came from. You came from Mary and Joseph. All right, you didn't, you're not the bread of life, and you didn't come down from heaven. Who are you trying to fool? We know where you came from. We can go to your house. We know what town you're from. You're not from heaven. And so they're thinking to themselves, these religious leaders, it's blasphemy to call yourself the bread of life. He, he goes all weird. He gets really strange. I want you to look at John chapter 6, verse 53. And we're going to pick up kind of right in the middle of this sermon that he's preaching. Verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
And people are looking at each other and they're saying, that's gross. You know, that's crazy. What's he talking about? You know, somebody, you hear that and you go, what did he just say? Did he just say something about the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood? That's weird. That's offensive. See, Jews didn't eat or drink blood. It wasn't something that they did. They just, they weren't about that at all. You know, you can imagine somebody going, did he just say we're supposed to be cannibals? Is that what he's talking about? And you can see how this would start to get all haywire. He goes on, verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And somebody would say, well, if that's what it takes to have eternal life, I'm probably not going to have eternal life because I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing that. And you say, Brett, it was symbolic. Yes, it was, but it was offensive. And it was weird. And it was strange. They'd never heard him talk this way before. He keeps going. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And that's just weird. And the, 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 the disciples, this, these people that have been following Jesus that have kind of risen up, there's many, many, many of them, hundreds if not thousands, they're hearing this and they're thinking to themselves, you know what, I'm out of here. I, I'm not, this, he's lost his mind. I, this, the success has gone to his head or whatever, but we're not doing this anymore. And the apostles, I think the apostles are thinking, we're losing them. We're losing them. We've had all these people. This crowd's been great. We had momentum, and now you've gone and gotten all weird, and we're just losing them. Now skip to verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples, and this isn't the 12, this is the the big crowd. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? To which people would have replied, uh, sure does. Yeah, it's offensive. Yeah, I don't like hearing that. And the Bible tells us that people started to fade away and Jesus just keeps preaching to the crowd and the crowd is dissipating, okay? It's, it's, it's diminishing by the minute. And the Pharisees are saying, he's not who he says he is. We know where this guy's parents live. He's not the bread of life. He didn't come down from heaven. This eat my flesh, drink my blood thing, what is that all about? And the crowd starts to murmur, and all of a sudden, the 12 apostles, their popularity is at risk. All right, you, you can imagine if you're them, this whole rock star status thing, it's on shaky ground right now, and the momentum is turning, and all of a sudden, it might just be dangerous to be associated with Jesus. And to continue to associate with this guy as it's getting weirder and weirder and just crazy, it could get bad. And they're thinking to themselves, we're probably going to have to answer at some point for this stuff. Can you imagine Peter and Andrew and James um, going up to the crowd as they're leaving saying, we're going to take a quick break, okay? Just stay right here. We're going to take a quick break. Here, have some of this this food that he, remember the miracle of the food? Have some of the food. Remember that he did the food thing. And then maybe they go to Jesus. And they say something like, Jesus, this sermon isn't working. 
Remember that sermon you did on prayer? Do that one, okay? Remember, remember, remember the sermon that you did where you talked about the parables? Nobody understands your parables, Jesus. Nobody understands them. They're safe. Just preach a parable sermon. But stop saying all this weird stuff. Stop saying this stuff that's offensive. You know, talk about the Pharisees. Nobody likes the Pharisees anyway. Talk about them. Points go way up. Crowd comes back. All's good. We're rock stars. Now, verse 66 is a big transition verse in the Bible, okay? This is a verse that you might want to just kind of mark and say, this is an important verse. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Yeah. Yeah, we, we saw the teaching. We heard the teaching. We saw some really cool things. We may have even seen some miracles, probably think that we have. But this teaching on this thing about coming from heaven and eat my flesh and drink my blood and I'm come down from heaven and I'm the bread of life, that is weird. Even the closest people, some decided, that's it. I'm gone. I'm not sticking around for this. And they abandoned Jesus over this teaching. And the crowd began to thin and the 12 were listening to Jesus and watching the crowd And I expect that more than one of the 12 apostles is watching the crowd just kind of walk away trying to figure out how they can meld into that whole group and get away from Jesus because they're starting to think, this is getting really, really strange. And maybe the 12 are thinking to themselves, maybe we were wrong. Maybe this isn't what we thought it was. And plagued with doubt, doubt like they had never known before, and, be, and all because Jesus knew the hearts of men, he, he asked the next question in verse 67. He looks at the apostles and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that probably some of them were looking at the exit signs thinking, how can I slip out of here and not be noticed? And I expect that as Jesus asked that question, It's kind of like in your house when there's been something gone down that wasn't supposed to go down and you're quizzing the kids about it and their heads are down, right? They just look at the ground. It's like, don't make eye contact, just keep your head down. Just keep your head. You know, siblings will look at one another, but they're not looking up because you just don't want to look up. And Jesus asked this question. You're not thinking about leaving too, are you? I think just nobody made eye contact with Jesus. And they're, they're looking at each other. I imagine there was a really long pause after that. And this is where we all live at one point or another. At some point, it gets really tough to follow Jesus. And you start thinking about walking away. See, here's what's going on in the room this morning. Probably all of us at one time or another have entertained thoughts of just chucking the whole thing and saying, you know what, I'm tired of this. I don't have all my questions answered. I got some doubts here. This is bugging me. You know what? Maybe it's when you're a college freshman and you show up and everybody on your floor is going out on a Saturday night and it looks like they're all going to go have a ball. And you're thinking to myself, you're thinking to yourself, why am I a Christian again? Why, why am I doing this? Because it looks like they're having a great time and I'm the only one that's not doing what they're doing and they all look like they're having a ball. Or maybe you're the businessman who's decided you're going to do this according to your Christian principles. And it gets harder and harder. And you start to think to yourself, you know what, if I would cut a couple of corners, if I would do things this way, if I wasn't such a Christian, I might make more money. 
Or (laughs) you've raised a couple of kids, and you bring them to church, and that's nice. You send them to youth group, and Ryan takes them on trips, and that's nice. Oh, isn't that nice? That's so nice. And you want them to be good kids, and you basically, here's, here's your goal in bringing your kids to church, right? You just want them to not get pregnant, and you want them to stay off drugs. Isn't that really what you're after? I mean, honestly, that's really what we're trying to have happen. We just, you know, just behave, and, and that's really what we're after. And it doesn't sit too good when your kid comes home from youth group and says, Hey, Dad, I was thinking, I've been praying about being a missionary to Papua New Guinea. Papua what? See, now it's not as good. Yeah, Dad, I've been thinking about being a preacher. You can't be a preacher? See, it's one thing we want it. It's it's okay if you just go to church and if you stay out of trouble and you're a good high school student, that's great. But when this Jesus thing starts to get too personal, when it it starts to make a demand, when there's a cost to it, when things aren't necessarily going to go the way you envisioned it going, and all of a sudden what your expectation was and what reality is, they're sharply differed. At some point, this question becomes very relevant to you. Verse 67, you don't want to leave too, do you? And the true answer is, if we're honest, sometimes, well, I was thinking about it because I was thinking my life might be less complicated without Jesus. And I think my life would be simpler, my options bigger, my life more profitable. I was thinking maybe I'd have more pleasure. And I've always had my doubts. And Jesus is asking us, are you planning to bolt too? The time will come when you will have doubts. The issue isn't will you have them. The issue is what will you do with them. Now listen to what happens next. Peter gets an insight and he puts our doubt in proper perspective, okay? So if you've got doubts in the room this morning, and I'm sure some of you do, Peter is going to basically ask a question of Jesus that's going to put all of this in perspective for us. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Here's what Peter recognized. He recognized something that the college freshman doesn't always recognize. He recognizes something the Christian businessman doesn't always recognize. Peter recognized, I realize that to walk away from you is to walk away unintentionally or intentionally to someone or to something else. And Jesus, I just did a 360, and I just scanned the landscape, Where else am I going to go? What else am I going to put my faith in? Peter recognized that when you decide that because of the conflict, the tension, the pressure, the loose ends, when you decide to walk away from Jesus, you either intentionally or unintentionally, you're walking toward something else. To unembrace Jesus, and unembrace, according to my word processor, isn't a word, but we're making it one this morning, When you unembrace Jesus, you embrace something else or someone else. Now, I'm sure they're out there. I've never met somebody who left Christianity to go to some other belief system, but I'm I'm sure they're out there. And that's why when you embrace Christianity, you kind of just kind of back yourself into trouble because nobody ever decides what they're going to hold on to. They just decide what they're going to let go of. 
right? That's really what we do. We, we decide what we're going to jettison. And, and nobody says, I'm just not going to believe anything for a while. You don't do that. Your faith is in something. You're, you're hanging your faith on some hooks. They're either Jesus hooks or they're, you know, they're humanistic hooks or they're, they're science hooks. There's, you're hanging them on something. You, you're not doing all this in a vacuum. Peter recognized, if I walk away from Jesus, I'm walking toward something else. And I just evaluated all the other options, and this is hard, and this isn't going to be a lot of fun, and this may cost me, and indeed it did cost him. But Peter said, when I evaluate the options, to whom shall I go? Jesus, where else am I going to go? When you have doubts, you don't just get tangled up in your questions You have to consider the options because when you consider the options, it brings clarity to the questions. So when life throws me a curve and it looks too hard and I don't know if my faith can sustain it, you say, okay, Brett, before you you chuck it all and go somewhere else, you got to answer the question, to whom shall we go? And over and over in my life, I have concluded with Peter. I don't have all this figured out. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, where am I going to go? You're the only person offering me eternal life. You're the only person willing to go to the cross for me. You pay the price for my sin. You gain forgiveness for me. I don't do it for me. You do it for me. It's no cost to me. People are promising pleasure, but I know that's not going to last. People are promising me profit, but I know that's short-lived. People are promising me that if I work really, really hard and I'm really, really good, God will accept me. And I've tried that, and that doesn't seem to work either. No one, God, no one else is promising me eternal life. And then look at the next verse, verse 69. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's what he means. Jesus, we've seen too much. We've seen too much. We know if we go out and explore other options, it's all going to be meaningless. There's nothing else out there for us. I've already had a business. I've already tried the pleasure. I've already been religious. That didn't work. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah, it stinks right now. Yeah, I don't have it figured out. But there are not really any other good options here. In the midst of your doubts and your questions, you have to consider this. And I just want to promise you, when you focus in on that question, to whom shall I go, it brings clarity to all the other questions. I know this, I know that if I were to walk away from Jesus with all of my questions, they're not getting answered. I can take all my questions and inconsistencies and failures and, you know, 10 years later, 5 years later, 4 months later, 25 years later, guess what? I've still got many of those same questions. Walking away from Jesus doesn't clarify anything. Walking away from Christianity does not lead us to say, oh, now I understand how the world works. Christianity was in the way. You know, Jesus was in the way. No wonder I couldn't figure it out. Jesus was in the way. And we're not going to say that. We're going to come back more scarred, more beaten up, more bruised, 
And we're going to say, man, I'm never doing that again. I wish I hadn't done that to start with. Those of us who are Christians, nobody else is offering us eternal life. We've seen too much. We know we'll come back. And see, don't lose sight of this either. They did not know what was at stake. Peter, Peter, you're going to write books of the Bible. They're going to name buildings after you, Peter. You're going to be a rock star. There's going to be, you're, you're going to go down in history. They're going to trace the church back all the way to you. You know, you're going to be a big, big time guy. And Peter's going, really? John, you're going to write five books of the Bible. You're going to write John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You're going to write Revelation. They're going to spend the rest of eternity trying to figure out what Revelation's all about. Judas? Stinks being you. (laughs) They didn't know. They didn't know what hung in the balance, and you don't know what hangs in the balance. 30 years ago at Johnson Bible College, I didn't know what hung in the balance. And that's when you learn. It's not the doubts that are the problem. It's what you do with them. What's going to happen if you leave? You're going to come back and you're going to say, you know what? I've learned the hard way. I learned the hard way that I just, all I did was I carried all those doubts and all those questions and I took them to science and I took them to, you know, whatever other thing is out there that I could put all my faith in and I still got questions and I've still got doubts and I still don't know. You you tell me, where did all this come from? I don't care whether you're an atheist, scientist, Christian, I don't care what you are explaining all this is a problem. Am I right? We don't have that figured out. Go look all you want. You're not figuring that out. Not till you come face to face with the one who made it all, who says, this is how I did it. Oh, it's okay to have a doubt. It's okay to have a question. It doesn't make you a bad Christian or a bad person. And if you leave, the world's going to beat you up It's going to scratch you up and scar you, and you're going to come back. You're still going to have some of those same doubts. And you're going to say, I'm never doing that again. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, I just want you to know you don't have to have every question answered. Okay? There's some biggies. There's some things you need to have kind of nailed down. You need to to believe Jesus is the Son of God. You need to believe he died on a cross for your sins. You need to believe that you're forgiven because of that. You need to believe he rose from the dead and conquered the grave. But there's an awful lot of stuff when people say, man, I just got to get all my questions answered. Never happening. Never happening. We're going to sing in just a moment. If you've never given your heart to Christ, you just need to know every single question doesn't have to have an answer. You can come and you can pursue Jesus. Some of those questions will get answered. Some of that doubt will be taken away. But it's a journey. And it's a process. And you never quite fully get there. Not till we see Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks this morning that you tolerate us. That you are not offended by our questions and our doubts. I thank you that you're so patient with us. And Lord, this morning, if there are people in the room who have struggled with some things, I pray that they've been given some relief. I pray that they've been made to feel not like a bad Christian. Pray that they know that it's all right for them to have a doubt or two. It's all right for them to question something once in a while that does not offend you. 
It's how we gain truth. It's how we come into a better understanding by asking questions. Lord, if there's someone in the room this morning who's never given their life to you, I pray that you would address for them sufficiently the things that they've got that they need to be able to take the next step, which is to put faith in you. Lord, at the end of the day, where else would we go? To whom would we turn? Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you died on a cross for us. Only you extend to us grace. We're just broken down by that, blown away that you love us that much. Father, it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.